This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. On today's show, we welcome the world-traveling digital nomad and serial entrepreneur Jesse Schoberg to the show. Jesse is the founder of LJHost.com. LJHost is a development agency that he started back in 2001. Jesse shares with us about how he started selling thigh masters online in high school and how he's been growing businesses ever since. Throughout the interview, we talk about hiring in Ukraine versus America, recruiting, and work-life balance. Jesse shares in thorough detail about his hiring process and then chats a bit about why he thinks Slack is completely inefficient. Lastly, chatting with Jesse, he shares about the details of his newest project, crickets.org, a business dedicated to informing people about edible crickets and insects as an alternative source of protein. It's a high-energy interview and a very good time chatting with Jesse. And without further ado, let's welcome Jesse Schoberg to the show. Welcome, Jesse, to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Chris. You're welcome, man. Thanks for coming. And you're calling in from Chiang Mai? Oh, no, wait. You're in Saigon today. Yep. Uh, yep, in Saigon this month. Uh, it's been really nice. So you spent a bit of time in Chiang Mai, but before that, you spent eight years in Panama. And so I'd li- I think I'd like to talk a little bit about Panama. Why did you spend so long in Panama? I don't know. It was a, it's a good place. Uh, I kind of ended up there on accident and, uh, it was just one of those places that, you know, it's, it's got a lot of magic going on. It's a great city. Uh, you know, kind of all the reasons why people like Southeast Asia, inexpensive, not so much anymore, but was inexpensive when I moved there. Uh, you know, great city, great climate, beaches close by mountains you know uh unorganized country that's just kind of exciting and new uh speak spanish uh, and close to the americas which is convenient eastern time it's a good place to be uh also there's a there's a not a gigantic uh entrepreneur community but but there's a there's a pretty good one and you know i had a pretty good friend circle and most of those people were really stable because the visa situation is pretty good in Panama. So it created for a, a, a pretty pretty good uh, pretty good place to have a, a really good lifestyle. For me, I always thought Panama City would be quite an exotic place. Is it like that? Um, I mean, you know, you've spent some time in Latin America, right? So yeah. I would say it 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 qualifies under as exotic as Latin American be right. There's, <laughs> okay. there's salsa music and, and, uh, you know, uh, Caribbean vibes on the Caribbean side and, and, a, a lifestyle that goes with hanging out with Latinos and, you know, it's great. It's, it's a, it's a good vibe. All right, my friend, we want to jump into you as an entrepreneur and get a little bit of your background. So if you don't mind sharing your story with the listeners so we can get to know you a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. I kind of, uh, grew up as a little bit of a serial entrepreneur when I was a kid. I had a little bit of influence from my parents who uh, are entrepreneurs themselves in a little bit different of a way. They have a, a retail menswear store in a small town in Wisconsin. So I kind of grew up w- working there and around them and kind of seeing that mentality of make it happen sort of stuff. Uh, but kind of had my sights set a little bit bigger. And so when I was in high school, I did a bunch of stuff. I had had a made a patent for a, something with some jeans and I had a jean company and a t-shirt company and uh, 
hemp necklace company for a few years. And one of my bigger catches, uh, windfalls was, uh, I was selling thigh masters on eBay, <laughs> uh, when I was probably about 16 or so. And, uh-huh. uh, kind of got this good hit of the had had some supplier from china that was importing into california and uh they were kind of off tv but people were still looking for them so i'd push them up on ebay and you know was making like i don't know 100 bucks a day or something which you know when you're 16 is pretty cool (laughs) yeah (laughs) were your parents encouraging you to be an entrepreneur while you were in high school yeah definitely i mean i i I wouldn't say that they were like every day telling me that, Oh, you should, you know, start a new business. They they just kind of got used to it. So, Mm -hmm. but they, but they were positive. They weren't, they weren't telling me that I was crazy. I mean, sometimes they just let me fail when I had terrible ideas, you know, (laughs) but, uh, but yes, definitely positive influence in that category for sure. And, uh, you know, supportive that, you know, I was out there trying to do something, you know, so if you're pulling in a hundred dollars a day as a sixteen year old, what are you doing with your extra money? Uh, buy a car. I, and... I mean, yeah, that, <laughs> those things, <laughs> and you know, just whatever. You know, enjoying life. It's nice when you're a kid, and you know, you just do whatever, and and uh, you know, it's. I mean, it's a chunk of money. It's not that much money, right? But yeah. but yeah, yeah, save some money and. Uh, and uh yeah had a car and and traveled around a little bit you know like uh as much as you do when you're 16 i guess you know but no 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 smart moves of you know i didn't i didn't buy a bunch of domains like i should have or anything <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> i think you started the business you're still running today in 2001 is that right yeah that's right so uh, i've got a development agency called lj host uh, that I started in 2001 uh, when I was 19. And uh, I didn't really know too much about what was going on on the internet yet, so I'd, I was just kind of building websites essentially at that time. But there was kind of a magical moment for me when I had a client come to me, and I was still kind of scrambling, taking every kind of business I could get my hands on. And I had a client come to me using an e-commerce product called Miva Merchant, uh, which I just looked up today and it still exists, uh, but now it's some enterprise level solution or something. Uh, but at the time it was a script you installed on your server, kind of like, uh, uh, you know, WordPress or something. Uh, but anyways, uh, they, someone had come to me with a problem with it and I said, Oh yeah, yeah, I can fix that or whatever. And of course I went and looked at the code, which I barely knew anything about code at that time. And, I had no idea how to fix it. Uh, so I started searching around the internet for like people that could fix this. And then I ran across some of these old school kind of uh, freelance sites bef- way before Upwork. It was like there was like rent a coder and get a freelancer or something like this. And uh, it was all just project based kind of stuff. So I p- posted up this kind of odd problem of this Miva merchant thing that I needed to solve. And I got two guys wrote me back and one guy was some kid from California. And he said, I can solve your problem for $70. And another guy wrote me from Ukraine and he said, I can solve your problem for $30. Wow. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. You know? Yeah. And, uh, of course, you know, this is all new for me as a little gun shy. And so I went with this, the, the quote unquote safe bet. So I hired the guy in, in California for 70 bucks, sent him the PayPal, him the 70 bucks ahead of time. And basically, after two weeks, he cried me a river about why he 
didn't finish the job and like how he couldn't give me the money back. (laughs) (laughs) And so I remember doing a charge back on the, the PayPal account and then being like, well, I guess I'll see if this guy in Ukraine, I didn't even know where Ukraine was. (laughs) And, and I I said, I guess, I guess I'll see if this guy will will do it, you know? And so I, I wrote him back and he said, Oh yeah, I'll still do it. And, Two hours later, he had the problem solved for thirty bucks. Wow! <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay." You know, huge light bulb goes off in my head. You know, and yeah, that was kind of the 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 first like aha moment of like, "Oh, you don't just have to hire the guy that's down the street. You don't have to put ads in the paper. You don't have to, you know, this kind of stuff." Or the guy and, that's from your country. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, actually, that guy who did that little task for me ended up working for me for like four years and did a whole bunch of programming for me wow. <laughs> and just like ended up being a great asset and team member and uh i i went on to hire a lot of people actually from ukraine ended up being kind of my go-to spot and uh of course all over the world I, i've worked with people from but that that ended up being a magical space for me and uh it it kind of brought the agency forward in the fact that I kind of found this this labor arbitrage thing and at the time it was just people had kind of heard of India outsourcing but didn't really know anything about it and it wasn't really going that well at the time right uh so in my local market uh in Madison Wisconsin where I started the company I kind of just went to all my competitors and said hey how about I just uh do all the the development for you guys and you can stop trying to hire people and keep up with what's going on and you can you know spend your days with your local marketing and chamber of commerce or whatever you do to close deals and you know we'll do all the work and that kind of became our our niche and so we we really got in the market there really well and then uh that became really uh strong for us uh so then over the years we just developed our processes and everything got really good at hiring and then that kind of became the the well-oiled machine that that ran for many years and and still uh runs today in 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 some capacities when you first started outsourcing or testing outsourcing that was 2001 is that correct that's correct yeah wow and as before like even the four-hour work week and before it was really even known too well do you still hire from ukraine i do actually yeah me too i know a lot of people that really like ukrainian workers Tell us about the involvement of your team. I know you work really hard and have learned a lot about growing a remote team. And can you share with us your personal involvement of team building? Sure. So I have a main partner on the, on the agency and a couple of other projects. And then I have a second partner uh, who lives in the States on a couple of my other projects. So those are kind of like at the top here. And then, uh, then the rest of our staff, uh, varies a little bit, but I'd say we're usually around, uh, maybe five additional total people. Uh, so, you know, we keep it tight. We're usually, you know, totaling out around eight, uh, depending on what, what we're working on, but that, that's kind of the core team there. Um, and everybody is always set up on hourly and, you know, all everything everything runs hourly Mm -hmm. uh so these days we work completely off of the uh upwork model with the the hourly stuff and and we used to hire people on a monthly basis and this kind of stuff but we 
we found it to be just more effective to stick with the hourly, even with people that work for us for many years. You know, our, our lead developer has probably been with us for, I don't know, eight years or something ridiculous. And, uh, you know, but, but being on the hourly, keeping on the hourly, and when it's actually like output hourly, like Upwork does, it's so great because for us from the company standpoint, we're never we're never bleeding cash mm-hmm. you know normally if you have an agency and you start building a staff and you've got a got an office and all of this kind of stuff you know you have a couple slow months you know and you got you know 10k a month going out the door and overhead like that hurts you know yeah um and so we don't have an office we've never had an office and we keep it really lean and we pay everything per hour and so then you know there's there's no fat right it's super super clean and just very effective that way and furthermore what i like about that is if we start getting busy and i push on the team then they get directly rewarded for that it's not some arbitrary someday i'll give you a bonus or i'll give you a raise or whatever it's just yeah this month you put in a bunch of extra hours because we had a bunch of stuff going on and now you have a bunch of extra money. So they feel that reward directly mm-hmm. when that happens. And we found that to be super effective. Where otherwise, if you're slow sometimes and you've got the person on monthly and then you have a big month where you need to really push them, they drag their heels because they got used to not working that much. Yeah. And so it, for us, that has always worked really well. Now, the majority of your team, are they still in Ukraine or where do you hire from? Yeah, usually there, um, but we hire kind of from anywhere, really. But but that's where that's where we end up, especially for programmers. Mm-hmm. Um, for other stuff, you know, designers or front end or uh, you know, when we start talking about marketing and SEO and this kind of stuff, then it, then it can be any anywhere, you know. Uh, but but for for the programming, I always end up going back there. I, I even try to not be prejudice about everywhere else in the world and sometimes <laughs> when i'm hiring new people i'll i'll test out from other places and i just i always end up back there yeah that makes sense let's talk about recruitment a little bit and i know you have quite a bit of experience in this field so what is your recruitment process like so uh one thing that i like to do is uh you know i use upwork almost exclusively for for new hires um and I've got a little process that I can share that that's really actionable that that has helped me really kind of cut through the fat there. Um, and basically, what I do is I, I create the the job uh, description that I'm looking for, but I don't just post it public. You know, n- normally it's like, oh, I've got a copywriter job, so I just go up there, you post a copywriter, and then you know, 150 people apply, and it's really difficult to figure out what's going on. Um, but what I've found is good is I actually spend a lot of time and I look through people's profiles and then I invite them to, uh, bid on the project, uh, or apply rather for the job. And in, and that by doing that, um, it helps you not get, not get the guys who are just burning and churning this stuff. Cause usually I'm trying to look for somebody a little more long term, mm-hmm. and the guys that apply all the time. They're either a don't have any work, and probably aren't very good, 
Or B, are these kind of burn and churn guys that just want to like knock something out really quick and like move on to the next task, and they, they don't really want to be a team member. Um, so I've, I find it to be a, a pretty good tactic that if you dig, spend a little time digging through resumes, and then also kind of follow their information and look off-site, I've found a lot of real gems in people that uh, tried to use Odesk or Upwork, sorry, and... Uh, they, you know, they someone told them about it. They put their resume and everything on there, and they put all their stuff. And then, like, they applied for three jobs, and then they didn't get them, and then they forgot about the website. And so, but by then, I find these people that that actually are super talented and actually have a really good resume and portfolio. And and I reach out to them directly, and then I say, hey, you know, you look like you might be a good fit for this. Come check out this this job that I put together. And then I found that you're able to find some really good talent that is being underutilized. And, you know, maybe they don't have any feedback yet. Maybe they have one feedback, something like that. But sometimes you can find some real gems of really talented people that just their main project load is not coming from Upwork. But you can you can really find talented people that way. Um, then the next kind of trick that I use that I find to be super effective is I hire at least three people. And I give them all the exact same task as the test task. So say it's a programmer. I have some programming problem that maybe is going to take three hours. And I give all three people the exact same task kind of at the exact same time. And then I get to, then I get a real taste for how they stack up to each other. So then, you know, you get to see how just straight up, how much time did it take? But then also you can see like time versus their hourly rate. How much did that come out to in our actual cost? And then how do they work through the problems? Did the people come into the same problems? This kind of stuff. Where if you just give one person, just hire one person and give them the task. If there's some problems, you don't necessarily know like, oh, was that a reasonable problem for them to have or whatever? You get a, you get a real comparison. And that's helped me those kind of three steps there of not letting random people apply, digging in through people's resumes and inviting them to apply and then hiring three people for the tasks and comparing them has been a super successful mini strategy for hiring people off Upwork. That's a great little hack. How long have you been doing that for? Um, probably four or five years since I've been doing it that exactly that way. I think you wanted to share with us an experience that you had with Slack that would be good for the listeners to hear. Yeah, I just uh, I think Slack's kind of interesting these days because something about it it's it's just going crazy. It's, everyone's very excited about it, but to me, it's like the most inefficient method of communication with your team. Possible. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's like, do we really want to sit on the? It's like it's like saying I want to put all my team on a phone conference all day every day. It's completely inefficient, and I just I. I can't see the why anyone wants to use it it's like, like just not not an effective way to you know cut each person off and let them actually get their work done so i mean i recommend moving it back to the old way i mean if it's if it's a simple project just using email or another thing that i've been kind of happy with lately is using the messaging system within upwork um and what's kind of cool with that is it has file attachments and stuff and so then you know if you had them like work on a video intro for you or something and then you know six months from now you need that video intro you know that that file is in that conversation versus 
whatever other system you're using, you got to dig around a lot more for it. Mm. Um, so that works really well. Or, uh, you know, just using Basecamp is super effective. And even on the Basecamp uh, concept, uh, we've actually switched over to Freedcamp, uh, which is a mostly free kind of knockoff of Basecamp. And we used to kind of use both for different reasons. And lately, the guys at Freedcamp, I don't really know what their story is, if they've got some funding or if their premium products are doing well. But they've been working really hard on their interface, and I like it better than Basecamp now. Um, so we've kind of moved all of our stuff into Freedcamp, and it's it's been super effective. Um, but moral of the story is project management systems are so much more efficient than using slack because everyone can actually get their work done instead of sitting in the chat room all day so yeah i can see the problem with that for sure what kind of products are you working on these days jesse yeah we're focusing on uh three one main thing but three in total but our our main project these days is uh it's called form to email that's form to email.com and it's a form processing product so we'll say uh we're going up against people like contact form seven gravity forms woofoo this kind of stuff so uh we're trying to uh create uh, an easier to use better looking more useful feature option uh than those particular products so uh essentially helps you put a form on any website it's a SaaS product so you don't have to deal with any of the uh back-end code or any of this kind of stuff and we've got a slew of features uh and it looks really nice on most websites and allows people to kind of customize the front end a lot easier than some of the other options that end up being a nightmare of CSS important tags and this kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, form to email. That's kind of our main focus right now. Uh, another one that we're doing is called drop in blog, uh, which is also a SaaS product and kind of unique. I won't go too deep on that, but it's a, it's an API based blog product that is essentially, if you wrote a website in a platform that was not WordPress and you wanted to put a, a blog on it, what most people have to do is install WordPress and create a theme that kind of looks like the other site, and it's a huge pain, and then you have two systems to maintain. Uh, so what drop and Block does is it allows you to use our admin panel as the kind of user panel that you don't have to maintain or install or update, and then there's an API that you can hook in to output the the front end uh, blog posts and stuff into your existing, say, e-commerce platform or custom uh, built PHP website or whatever you have. Um, And then it it just kind of keeps that real clean and separated and runs into your existing template system. So um, we've been uh, doing pretty well with that as well. And it's, it's, there's really like no one else doing it. And it's kind of a neat little niche market that people are excited about. Jesse, is there anything that you'd like to share with the listeners about work-life balance? I've been living out of the States since 2008, and I think that, uh, you know, as you as well travel quite a bit, and, and you get to kind of see everybody out here working on their businesses and hustling hard and doing kinds of great stuff, and I I think that that's really exciting as well as a complete serial entrepreneur, but I also like to kind of give a reminder to everybody to to try to try to enjoy it a little bit. I, I feel like sometimes people get a little too caught up in the hustle and people still just working the normal. They're working the nine to five at their or the nine to nine to <laughs> midnight at, at, at their co-working space. And, you know, I, I, 
I kind of go back to the wait. Are are you the same slave situation that we were when 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 we were back home doing the normal job for somebody else? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and one kind of realization that I came to recently about that was, you know, everybody they they love to hustle so much, and I got to think that's probably not going to go away, right? Right. Like people that are like us, they. They, they build a business and then they sell it and they build another business and another business and another business, right? Yeah. So everybody's just trying to stack paper, which is fine. But really, you know, when you turn 60 or 70, do you think you're really going to be like, nope, don't want to hustle anymore? <laughs> I think you're probably still going to want to hustle because that's what is in your blood, right? Yeah. But what I think is not going to be the same is a lot of these experiences that we all dream about having they're a lot different when you're 30 than when you're 60, you know? Yeah. If, if you want to go salsa dancing in Medellin or you want to go snowboarding in Japan or, or you want to go, uh, you know, rock climbing in South of Thailand, you know, those experiences are different when you're 30. There's just no question about it, right? Yeah. A- and, you know, but earning money and hustling is not different when you're 60. So it's kind of like... I, I feel like that's my encouragement to say like, hey, while while you're young and adventurous and you have all this freedom and you're running around the world, like take some time and do this stuff. Take a couple days off during the week and go do some things. And, you know, okay, maybe your MRR didn't go up as much as it could have. But like, <laughs> who cares, you know? Like if, if you're, you know, this, this isn't advice for somebody who like is just getting rolling, right? But like a lot of people like once they get going you get addicted to it and keep trying to push it up higher and higher and higher and higher so i think that there's a there, there's just like you know we all need this reality check of like hey you know take four days off and go do that cool thing like you should do it you should spend the money you should go enjoy it you should go have that new experience you know that kind of thing so yeah, i completely agree man share with us jesse some ways that you draw the line between your regular everyday hustle and saying, okay, Jesse, now I'm going to go rock climbing. What are some ways that you apply that to your life? Um, I think a good one is the kind of the old don't work for work's sake. You know, sometimes you just show up and you say, oh, today I'm going to go to the office and, you know, poke around through my emails, you know. And uh, I think that if, if you've got a couple of main tasks that you're focusing on and you finish that up and you have some arbitrary amount of time left instead of just putzing through other tasks that you're probably not going to go through or mess around on Facebook to just, you know, cut off and and leave, right? And go do anything else. Like just go walk around your city or, you know, go call a friend that you haven't talked to in a while or, or, you know, whatever, anything go to try to have these experiences. So that's one way. And the other way I think is, um, I, by, going to new cities and and getting to know new places i think it gives an excuse to when when there's some type of a timeline on being somewhere for a month or two that then you kind of have an excuse to say okay i should really go on this food tour i should really go check out that tourist site or whatever and then you know take two days a week and just do like something that's interesting in the place that you're in you know and then you can kind of create some sort of a balance and then see some cool stuff that that you know is around the the beautiful place that that you've landed in this time you know i've had the goal in the back of my mind for actually a while now but i haven't set the goal is to just work for only eight hours a day and it scares me because i think to myself there's so much i want to do with my business and so much i want to apply 
how can I get it all done if I only work eight hours in a day? <laughs> you know, Where most people in the world are like, eight hours a day, I'm not working any more than that. I'm going home and relaxing. <laughs> so, well, and the difference is you're excited about it, which is great, right? Mm, like, true. you know, these are things you're trying to do great things that you're really excited about, which a lot of us entrepreneurs are for sure. But again, there's a balance, right? Like, you're, are, are you going to say like, oh man, I wish I would have made that one other SaaS product like <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah <laughs> you know it's like oh no I saw Machu Picchu that's right yeah that was cool <laughs> yeah that's one thing that I realized too is you know I've been abroad for almost seven years now and when I look back I remember a bit of the times that I worked hard but not a lot what I remember is that exactly I saw Machu Picchu you know I went rock climbing with Jesse in the south of Thailand I rode motorcycles across Peru. Those are the pictures you put on your Facebook. You don't put you, well, sometimes people put pictures of themselves <laughs> hustling, <laughs> but for the most part, they don't. We <laughs> do my hustle selfie today. Click. <laughs> but those are, those are the ones that stick in your mind too, yeah. right? When you look back on your last year and you say, what did I do? You didn't say like, I mean, maybe you say like, I launched the project, but you don't think like, oh, it was so great that I, you know, yeah. walled up in that co-working space and grinded out code for 4,000 hours, you know? Um, Again, it's needed, but, but these, these other experiences, the more you can sneak them into your life, you know, the, the more that that creates a nice timeline in your brain of, of, of exciting things, you know? Yep. Exactly. Good point. All right, man, that was great. Anything else you'd like to share with the listeners before we sign off? Uh, one little thing I was going to mention about uh, kind of a, a pro tip thing that I've noticed about being around the entrepreneur community is uh, something about uh, diversification in, in your projects. Uh, I see a lot of people and have known a lot of people that, you know, they hit their first thing and, and, it, and it does really well. And then they just kind of ride on that forever. Mm-hmm. And then there's inevitably some market shift. And that thing evaporates. Uh, just this last week, actually, uh, you know, Amazon affiliate came out with a an update in the U.S. affiliate market. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know that. if you saw that. Yeah, but uh, a lot of stuff was like half. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I had this great uh, Amazon affiliate site making whatever twenty k a month, and like then they do an update, and now it makes ten. Like that's a problem, right? Yeah. Like, and. You know, I, I've seen this time and time again, or especially when everyone was doing all this content and AdSense sites, and the the uh, then there was the the you know the Panda update that rocked everybody, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just oh we're making thirty a month, and then like now we're making five hundred, you know, <laughs> it's <laughs> just you know that kind of rocks everybody. So yeah, I uh, I'm a big believer in the diversification. I try to encourage my fellow entrepreneurs to kind of, you know, start some other small projects, you know? And, uh, yeah, we kind of ran across a, a, a fun little side project that we're working on that has to do with the diversity concept, diversification concept. Normally we do these SaaS products that have to do with building websites, you know, which sort of is diversifying, sort of not. And, uh, so we decided we want to do a content site and, uh, we've been kind of looking around at what to do and, uh, also partially about being in Thailand, we started learning about about uh, bug protein and specifically crickets as alternative protein source. Wow. Uh, yeah, so we're, we acquired crickets.org, and uh, we're working on putting together a plan for, uh, 
you know, putting together content and stuff uh, for that uh, for that site and kind of building out our first content site, and our first authority site. Uh, and we're just kind of it's exciting to be learning about a new thing and also looking as the long play of, you know, having, uh, you know, something totally different than our other SaaS products. Right. This is content. It, it could be e-commerce, could be something totally different. Right. Um, and also kind of an, an interesting niche. And uh, I guess that that could also roll into a little tip that I learned by going into that since we've never done a content site before uh you know i kind of asked all the people around me i said hey we're, you know we're doing this crickets.org we want to be the authority on on uh cricket protein you know wh- what should we do and you know i just you know called up you know five of my closest friends that have really successful authority sites and said what do you think we should do and uh you know, everybody kind of had their own pieces of advice, but then, you know, that helped me put together a really solid action plan without having to do as much research on my own and getting some real proof in the pudding kind of answers versus, you know, just, you know, you, you'd come up with a new idea and you spend a million hours on the internet. You don't know how much of it is, is the best advice and this kind of stuff. And when you got successful people that you can lean on, uh, that's a, a really, really helpful uh, resource there. Yeah. Very, very cool. Okay, Jesse, we're going to wrap up there. If the listeners want to reach out to you, where's the best place they can find you at? Uh, they can check me out on my blog, which is at schoberg.net. That's S-C-H-O-B-E-R-G.net. We want to give you a big thank you for coming onto the show, man. Thanks for sharing your wisdom and your advice with all of the listeners. We really appreciate your time. Hey, good talking to you, Chris, and uh, we'll catch you somewhere interesting soon. I hope so. Listeners, thanks for tuning in again, and that's a wrap for this episode. We'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the Entrepreneur House, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested in have some questions be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact we will respond as soon as possible for now saludos from somewhere in the world